How many of you know summer has arrived? And we're in the midst of the heat. Is everybody staying cool out there? Are you? I'm not. I'm not asking you if you're acting cool. I mean, are you? <laughs> you're cool. You want to stay cool. Well, I'll tell you, we, uh, we know we're about ready to commence on our summer months. There's a lot of neat things happening, uh, a lot of people on vacation. And we hope that when people take a vacation, we hope you can rest and enjoy yourself, enjoy your family. Those, those kind of things are so important for us, uh, just to rejuvenate and recharge our batteries. Uh, I really appreciated uh, us reading this morning the statement, uh, just to let you know that uh, I, I believe, how many of you believe God really wants his people to prosper? Yes. You know, I, I know there's been a lot of negative uh, on this prosperity message because so many times it's the focus is only money, and that really isn't the heart of the prosperity message anyway. It, it's really not just finances. Really, the heart of prosperity is, is what the Lord does in our lives and our hearts. And to me, the greatest prosperity is your marriage, your, your family, your relationship, your children. That's the kind of prosperity that God really wants to bring because that's the testimony. Your family, your relationship is the testimony to the world about how God's kingdom really makes you truly rich. Amen? A rich man is not just a man who's got... It really has nothing to do with money in the bank. I've I've met millionaires myself who are just the poorest people because they have no love, there's no life, there's no real sense of value in their life uh, because their prosperity has been so much in just gaining status or wealth in that way. But when we have relationships, when we have friendships when we've walked together through things. Those things is what really makes us prosperous. In fact, that's also what helps us to walk in a spirit of honor. And I've been on a series on this subject of honor. I want you to jump with me in your Bibles again to Ephesians chapter 4. As we're turning there, I want to just remind you this Wednesday night, uh, it will be the first uh, Wednesday of the month, and we're going to be meeting here for prayer and you know, we really even ask people if they can to fast and pray that day. We, we believe that prayer is the powerhouse of the church. How, how many of you believe that we need to have a prayer life? And prayer life isn't just what we do by setting time aside, although that's important. But do you know God wants you to develop a lifestyle of prayer where we're talking? I, I talk with my wife all day and all night. Do you know that? Well, I have a lifestyle. I, I live, I'm in a relationship with Carol, my wife. And I, I don't just have set times, but I'm talking to her all the time. It's because it's a relationship. And that, that's what we have. And, uh, and so I pray that you can make it Wednesday night, 7 o'clock here at the church. The next day, of course, is July 4th. And I know that's a holiday. And, uh, but just to let you know that we're going to be having a time of prayer this week. I pray that you can make it. Amen? Amen. Uh, Also, just to let you know, up and coming uh, near the end of the month into August, we're going to be doing a series by Chris Volatin called Is Your House Haunted? And it's an excellent series. It's really more of a study through Romans, but, uh, but he throws a slant on it that's really interesting and just really helping us to understand the dominion, the authority, and the power we have as believers, as Christians in this life. And uh, my, my prayer is that we begin to walk in that authority and victory that God has provided for us through Calvary. Amen? Jesus just didn't die on the cross, folks, just to wash your sins away and get you to heaven. Jesus died on the cross so that as He is, so are we in this world. In other words, He wants you to understand with the the same wisdom, the same power, the same authority that Jesus had, He replicated and He multiplied that in you coming through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you were baptized in the Holy Ghost, the one thing He said about the baptism, He said that you shall receive... 
He didn't say that you will just receive blessing. He didn't say you'll just receive prosperity. He didn't say that you'll just get to heaven. No. He said you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost. Now that power was not just intended for you to just speak in tongues and have great church services. No, Jesus intended for that power to be taken out into the streets, out into your workplace, into your community. He intended for you to demonstrate that power. In Mark 10, Matthew 9 as well, Jesus said that He gave His disciples power to cast out unclean spirits, to cast out demons, to heal the sick, raise the dead. He gave them power. Now, one of the things that I think that's, for the, for the most part, uh, in order for us to understand the power of the Holy Spirit, one of the things that we need to do, rather than just telling you, you have power, we need to have a serious paradigm shift in the way we think. You know, years ago, I was uh, part of a high school that was not really, we, we did not have a winning high school team. Hood River High School, we were a small school. In fact, when I was a sophomore in high school, our high school joined with another uh, of Hood River Valley High School, another high school, I think it was called Wyeese High School in Hood River Valley and Wyeese. They joined together to become a 4A school. It, it became a a, uh, uh, a school that had doubled in size because they joined two high schools together. This was way back in 1971, 72. I know that really dates me, doesn't it? But uh, th those were centuries ago. But uh, when we, when we uh, joined this high school, we happened to join a high school that had a winning school. It was a, it was a, a championship. Uh, they had a, a, an amazing uh, athletic program, and they had a couple of coaches that were uh, pretty successful in taking their schools to state championships. Now, we didn't come from that school. We, we came out of a high school that, for the most part, we, we just counted how many games we lost. <laughs> We didn't have a really winning team. But when we joined Y East High School, they made that head coach the head coach of both schools under the one high school. They became our coach. And I remember in my sophomore year, I had uh, tried out and I actually uh, became a varsity high school player as a uh, football player, tight end and defensive end in my junior or sophomore year. It's the only year I actually played in sports was my sophomore year. But in that year, I remember our coach, who uh, was uh, a really dynamic uh, young guy. He was in his mid-20s, but he had a tremendous grasp on coaching and helping young people reach their potential. How many of you believe Jesus wants us to reach our full potential? Okay, and one of the things that he had to do, and I'll never forget this as long as love. Actually, it didn't hit me until later on in life, but he really tapped in to a spiritual principle. But I remember in the summertime, and usually it's in the summer where high schools get their teams together, and they start practicing, and they start doing what they call our daily doubles. Anybody ever did that in high school, if you played football? Daily doubles, and it was there where they begin to work on the conditioning of the players, the discipline, and, and they begin to go through drills, and we begin to learn our plays to start the fall season for the fall semester for high school football. And, but I'll never forget our coach sitting all these players down, and all, all of us were young guys in high school, and the only thing we wanted to get out there and do, we just wanted to hit hard, and we wanted to learn the plays, and throw the ball, and we wanted to get out there and play the game. But that's not what our coach did. He didn't teach us those things. He, he did, eventually, but one of the first things he began to do was he sat us down and he got our attention and he began to talk to us about how we think. He started getting into our head. And he asked us some questions like he says, What do you think 
produces champions. What do you think produces uh, teams that win games? And he said something that I'll never forget. He says, winners are not made on the field. Winners are made long before they ever get on the field. If you don't have a winning champion mindset, you will never win the game. You can have the best discipline, you can have great coaching, you can even have some awesome dynamic plays, and you may know your, those kind of things, but if you have a mindset that you are already conditioned for being a loser, you're not going to go very far. And one of the things he dealt, dealt with, he dealt with the way we think. He began to deal with the concept of our identity. And one of the things he's, he did, he had us all look at each other. He says, I want you to turn to the guy next to you, and I want you to tell him they're a winner. Well, we weren't used to doing that. Because in high school, how many of you know high school can be brutal? Anybody ever been in high school? How many of you know high school can be brutal? In high school, people do not tend to encourage you. In high school, we tend, how many here, even adults, how many adults out here can remember your school days, high school days, and how many of you probably would raise your hand and say, I have more bad memories I have more memories of people that called me names, said things about me, horrified me, hurt me, than coming out and saying, wow, those are the best years of my life. Those are the years that I was transformed. I went to newer levels than high school. Not a whole lot of people have that kind of a testimony. Many people come out, I, I, I tell you, as a pastor, I deal with people all the I deal with adults that have problems in their adult life because of little things that were said in their years of high school, grade school, and even sad to say, worse to say, is from their own family. Where parents or family members that say, you know what, I wish you were never born. I've had parents, people come and tell me, Pastor, I was hurt when my, my mother one day said, I wish you were never born. Women that were in their 40s and 50s still remember those remarks. Remember friends in school years where adults, even in the 20, 30, 40 years later, were marked by what a classmate said. You are so stupid. And just those little comments stuck with him all those, those years. Now, how many of you thank God for the blood of Jesus and the cross of Calvary? Because what that does is that is intended to break the curse. And, and here's what a lot of people don't realize. The devil is alive and well in our grade schools, high schools, and among our friends. And this, this drive to be popular and to have friends and to have significance and, and to somehow find that place of acceptance in our schools can actually be a demonic drive unless the foundation is laid by moms and dads in the home. How many of you know we're in a spiritual battle today? And if you believe that the devil is on vacation from your house, if you believe that the devil is on vacation and that he is not sowing seeds to plant and destroy your children, if you do not think that the devil is not working behind your back to destroy your marriage, your family, destroy your potential, then the Bible says you are dull of hearing and you're blind. The Apostle Paul in many occasions, the book of Corinthians, the book of Ephesians, the book of Thessalonians, the book of Colossians, the book of Lit, on all of these different passages, the Apostle Paul will talk about spiritual warfare. Peter brings it up in his epistle where he says, the, the devil who goes around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. Well, how does the, how does the devil go around seeking whom he may devour? How does the devil work to destroy our lives. Well, I hate to say it. First of all, he works starting 
in our own families at times. Sometimes the devil will look for a way into your house and he finds it by getting all of us so preoccupied with other things that all of a sudden we wake up one day and we wonder, where did the rat come in? I, I was telling a story here not too long ago. My, my dad was, years ago, he built a house in Hood River. My dad had given, my grandfather had given my dad a piece of parcel of ground, and he went up and built a home, beautiful home. And I remember for one solid year, we lived in a trailer house. My brother and I and my mom and dad, we lived in a small trailer house for one year, and living in a 16-foot, single-wide trailer house, wow, that was tight and what I call too close for comfort. But we could not wait to get out of the house. My dad had, was building a house all by himself. My brother and I helped a little bit when we could. We didn't know much, but we helped. But my dad had finished a daylight basement, and he got the, house, the, the lower part of the house framed up and built. And, and we were about ready to go into the house, and we were all excited to get into our own bedroom and move into the house, even though it didn't have sheetrock on the walls. It still had framing and insulation and wiring. But at least we could get into our own bedroom, even though it was unfinished. And my dad says that there's only one little problem. Before we get into the house, I just, he lets my mom know this. There's only one little problem before we get into the house. And mom said, what's the problem? Because we're all excited. Well, we got rats in the house. And mom says, what are, we, what are we moving into the house for? Well, you know, they're, they're rats. They won't bother you. Rat, rats really run from you. And that did not work well with my mom. And my mom and dad had a nice little our argument over that. She's the, and my dad said, wait, you know what? We'll set rat trap. Mom said, I will not move into a house where there's rats. And the part of the reason was his dad didn't have the whole house sealed off. It wasn't finished. We just couldn't wait to get into it. But here's the thing. Sometimes you might be living in a place where there are, I call them, demonic rats that have somehow found a way into your house. And they get into your life. And all of a sudden you find decay. You find corruption. You find death. You find disease. You find something is wrong, stinks, something's messed up in the house. The problem is nobody's checking the doors. Nobody's evaluating, investigating. No one's asking questions. One of the most difficult things as a pastor I do in trying to help parents is you've got to ask questions with your kids. You've got to know, well, pastor, I just don't want to just get, I don't want to get involved. I, I, I'm, I'm not one of those confrontational parents. Well, do you understand that the devil is confrontational and he will take your kids down. He will destroy them. And you know, I, I know that we need education. Our kids need to go to school. And I know not everybody can go to a private school, home school, I know that. But we, we have today, because of Hollywood and MTV, Walt Disney and Nickelodeon and all of these shows, many parents today, sad to say, parents, commercial, here's a commercial break. Do not let your children, do not allow television to babysit your kids. Do not allow them to watch Disney, Nickelodeon. Do you know that some of these shows right now, in fact, just, just two weeks ago, my wife and I happened to be watching, we turned to the channels, and we have a basic cable, we don't have movies, but we turned the basic cable on, and I noticed Walt Disney. At Disney, it was kids, and they're, they're introducing transsexuals on Walt Disney for small children. That it's okay. Today, the movie, my wife and I, we, we don't usually go to movies. And we, we went to a movie a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I. I can't remember what it was. But I couldn't believe that we were watching this movie, and all of a sudden we saw a transvestite situation that they just had to put into that movie. Why, do, why does the devil do Why does Hollywood do this? The, in, the, the, the desire here is to desensitize the nation, to desensitize our young people into thinking that this kind of perversion, that the Bible tells us very clearly 
that will bring judgment upon our nation. They're trying to seduce and to desensitize our children into a perversion and make it as normal as a way of life as they possibly can. And as parents, that's why the Apostle Paul says that we need to redeem the times. We need to be watchmen on the... Everyone say watchmen. We need to be careful. We need to be watchful. Now, I know that as a pastor, as a father myself, parents, I know we can't, we can't catch everything. We, we can't do all that. But one of the things, and, and I'm not suggesting that we're just living like little hermits, Christians in the world, watching out, looking out for the devil. He's coming in everywhere. I'm not suggesting that either. But I do believe that as believers and fathers and mothers, we need to really make God big in our families. We really need to let God be highly exalted, and we need to let our children know that as parents, as fathers, as leaders, even in our jobs, it could be in any situation, we need to make serving God even fun. Do you know serving God can be fun? Serving God can be a blast. I don't know about you, but I'll tell you, I, 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 I see young people light up when they lay hands on the sick and they get healed. I've seen young people just light up when they can move in the prophetic and, and God uses our children to, to use a, speak in a word of... I've seen young people light up when they know that God actually uses them. But what we need, we need parents, men and women, fathers and mothers, we need Christian brothers and sisters who are walking in a spirit of honor. Walking in a spirit of authority. Walking in a spirit, having a spirit of dominion and confidence on themselves. Where we're no longer just kind of living like a spiritual basket case. We're not, we're not waiting for the rapture. We are mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We are more than conquerors of God before us who can be again. We are men and women who are history makers. We can come in, transform an environment. We have the Word of God. We have wisdom. Yes, we're going to bring heat. Yes, we're going to bring some persecution. Yes, it's going to cause a ruckus and there's going to be some people that are not going to be happy about you. But you know what? They will never forget you. When you are done with them, they're going, you know, I don't like that guy. I can't stand what he says because I'm a liberal. I think differently. I'm a humanist. I'm a pagan. I, I think like a secularist. But I don't know what about this crazy Christian over here. He said something that I can't shake it. I just can't seem to shake it. And you know the reason why I can't shake it? It's because of the whole, anything that is birthed by the Holy Spirit rings inside of the heart and the spirit of every man. It rings to be true. Even though their minds may reject it, and there's a, there's a dynamic going on, there's a battle between light and darkness, the kingdom of good and evil that is going on in the heart of those, especially with those. Let me tell you, there is no peace upon anyone who is not fully surrendered to the Lord. Let me tell you, the, the most miserable person on the planet is a person who has one foot in the church and one foot in the world. They're the most unhappy person on the, on the planet. See, when you're fully sold out into sin, you actually, the Bible actually says there is pleasure in sin for a season. There's a darkness. They're, in a, they're, they're deceived. There's pleasure in sin for a season. But the Bible says the God of this world blinds their eyes. They can't see it. They actually think, well, I'm in control. The one thing that people want to, I want to be in control of my life. I want control. I want to yield control to God because if I yield total control to God, I don't think I'll have fun anymore. And the one big thing with young people is I don't want to be weird. Well, just turn on MTV. You don't want to be weird that's weird. You know, it's amazing. We now believe that being normal is being in rebellion. Our society believes that being miserable, being in rebellion, 
and having a devastated family backgrounds is normal today. There's no such thing as relationships that stick. We don't know what it is to be committed and stick with something. We don't know what it is to persevere, believe God, and hang in there. We live in a culture that knows how to escape. We run, we flee, we fly, we get out, we, we drop the ball, we just, I'm done, I'm out of here. That's, that's our society. It's what we deal with. And the reason is, and we actually think, well, I need a fresh start. I, I need a new beginning somewhere else, somehow, with a new person, a new, a new husband, a new wife. New, I need a new church. I need a new job. I need, I need something new. Well, guess what? You just, yeah, your problems follow you. It just follows you. I don't know about you, but I've read, I've, I've read the journeys of the children of Israel, wilderness wanderings, enough to know that God kept bringing the Israelites around the same mountain. You know, you can change the names and the places, but guess what? You go through the same thing again until you grow up. You're going to go through the same thing until you grow up and grow into the, into the things of the Lord. And here, here's the thing. By God, we need, we need ministries today that preach the whole counsel of God. But when it comes to the concept of honor, when it comes to what Jesus... And I'll never forget when our head coach would sit down with us young guys, and he's teaching us how to think like champions and think like winners. One of the most important things he, he told us is that you need to have an understanding that you are a winner. Not just because of what you do, but you are thinking like a winner. You need to look and believe that you can win and that you will excel. You will prosper because God has given you, in each one of you, He's given you a good mind. He's given you a body. He's, he's, and that's what He was saying to us as, as young men as we're sitting there in those locker rooms. And He began to talk to us about our identity as young men and, and that we, we can do anything we really set our minds on. Now, I know that has to do with a lot of doing things in your own strength, and I'm not trying to press that on you today. But one of the things that I find that I took away from that is that we need to have a healthy evaluation of ourselves. We need to stop putting ourselves down. Amen? Amen. Now, in the Word of God in Ephesians 1, I want to turn there, if we can, this morning, cultivating a... Uh, the Bible says here, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which, with, with which you were called. With all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were once called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and one Father who is above all. Everyone say above all. Through all and in you all. Amen. The, the key here is that, number one, He's above you. He's Lord. Everyone say, He's Lord. In other words, that means He's in charge. Is God in charge of my life? How many of you know that God does not prosper anything that He does not own? He can't. Lordship, the word Lord means master. When Jesus becomes Lord, what I'm actually doing, I'm saying, Lord, you're the master of my life. When He becomes master, guess what? My prosperity and my blessing is now His problem. But when I seek to control my life on my terms, guess what? He can't do anything for me. His hands are tied. And so that's, that's the big issue there. Is He in control? Is He Lord? Is He above all? Is He through all? In other words, God is working through things, and is He in you all? Paul says here, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. Paul was absolutely uh, blown away by the fact of God's riches of His grace and what the Lord did. And he says the word to walk worthy of the calling. Now, what has God called us to? And I said this last Sunday. He's called us, first of all, into the family. He's called us into sonship. 
He's called you to be sons and daughters. How many parents do we have? Amen this morning. How many of you know you have children and they have your likeness? God wants us to be like Him. He's called us to be sons and daughters. He's also called us to be kings and priests. In other words, to walk worthy means to walk in a way that befits the very thing He's called you to. He's not saying that we're to walk to prove ourselves to obtain that sense of worthiness by doing works. But what he's trying to say is since you're called a son, since you're called a daughter, since you're called a king, then act like it. Start thinking like it. God wants you to start thinking like kings. He wants you to start thinking like you're redeemed. Walking worthy means that you are to line up with what he's already qualified you in. How many of you know that you've been qualified by the blood of Jesus through faith? I'm not qualified by works. When Paul says to walk worthy, in other words, he's saying, I want you to line up with what he has testified over you. I want you to jump over with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 26, it talks about our calling. Notice the first thing he says about our calling. Verse 26, for you see your calling, brethren, verse... 126 that not many wise according to the flesh not many mighty not many noble are called but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty notice what he's saying here God is saying that I'm not looking for all your intelligence I'm not looking for your smarts or your strength or your power God is saying that he's attracted to weakness God is, he, in other words, what he's saying, in order for my glory and my power to flow and be upon you, rest upon you, I actually need you to be out of the way. I, I need you not to try so hard. I actually need you to embrace your weaknesses. Because it's in the things that you feel weak in, the things that you feel like you are unable to do, God says, that's where my glory is really has the, the full potential to explode, the full potential to be recognized and realized. So the Bible says God hath chosen the weak, the foolish things of the world to confound the wisdom of men. Now, I don't know about you folks, but for me, that is a challenge because that means that Ray Galligan cannot have control of things. That means Ray's got to release, everyone say release control. Release. I've got to release control. If God chooses the weak, you see, one of the things I want to do is I want to show God I'm strong. I want to show God, Lord, I want to show you how good. I want to give you, God, a great track record that Ray has done. I want to show you, God, that I'm worthy of you. I want to show God, oh, Lord, I want you to know all the sacrifices Ray has made for you. All, all the money I've given, all the time I've been over backwards for people. I want you to know, God, everything I've done. That's too quiet in here. <laughs> you see, that's, that's, that's Ray bragging on his strengths. And God says, Ray, I can't use that. Yeah, but God, don't you see all I've suffered for? I know, Ray. It's no good. It's going to burn up in the fire. Well, then why do anything? No, I'm not telling you to throw in the towel. I want you to yield control to me. I want you to trust. I want you to be faithful in what I've called. But I've called you to let me be God even when you're weak. I want you to trust me. You know, sometimes the most difficult things is just to hang in there in the battle and say, Lord, you're in control. Nothing I can do. But Lord, it's, it's you bringing to pass what you want to bring to pass. I have to do that. I have to learn to let God be God instead of me. See, the Bible is basically saying, I can't work with people who are so smart. I can't work with people who've already got it all figured out. I can't work with people who've already got their game plan planned out. God says, I can't use you. 
I have to bypass you. I've got to look for weakness. I've got to look for people like little Mary in the Bible in Luke chapter 2 when the angel Gabriel came to this little woman and she was a no-name. She didn't have a reputation. She didn't have any kind of qualifications. Nobody on earth would look at Mary or Joseph. And, 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 and Gabriel comes that night and says, Mary, oh highly favored woman of God. The Lord's chosen you. I'm sure Mary looked at what? Who am I? Who am I? God sent a prophet, Je uh, Samuel, to the house of Jesse for, to be a king over Israel. Jesse and, and all of his sons and Samuel knew that, that, that Jesse had some, some uh, uh, young men that, that, that had some remarkable talents and gifts and some, some, some superior qualifications. And so Samuel is going knowing, oh, there, there's, a, there's some good young men there in the house of Jesse. And when the Lord, and when Samuel comes to the house of Jesse and God begins to speak to Samuel, the first thing before he even gets into the house, God tells Samuel, you are not to look upon the outward appearance. You're not to judge the man by his abilities, his talents, how he looks, because God looks upon the heart. And if you can imagine this, Samuel comes in, Jesse, and everybody's so waiting, and they're all decked out there in their tuxedos, and they're dressed in their camel furs and everything else, and they're looking good, and all the parties going, the champagne's out, the, the party, the blues are going. All of a sudden, God says to Samuel, no, 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 he's not the one, he's not the one. Man, all of a sudden, the party has just lost its poop right there. And Samuel looks at Jesse and says, Is there anybody else here that's a son? And they're all shocked. Well, yeah, we, we got this little redhead runt kid, David. He's the youngest, and he does all our work, dirty work for us, because we boss him around all the time. We like to boss David around. It just so happens he's the king. Why him? Why wouldn't you like to choose my oldest son, he's the one after my heart. Well, yeah, but he's not after my heart. He's not, he's not the one I'm looking for. I'm looking for a king who has a heart for people, who has a heart to serve the people. He's going to be strong in the day of battle. And you see, when it comes to this concept of honor, walking worthy means that I'm, I'm really making and coming into a paradigm shift. I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to really rearrange the way I see life. Amen? Uh, the way I'm looking at things. You know, one thing I find that when a lot of people come to the Lord, they, come, they become, in America, and I, when they come to, come to become Christians, many people just think that becoming Christian means that I'm, going to kind of add Jesus to my agenda. I'm just going to kind of add him to my already busy lifestyle. And that's not what Jesus intended. Making Jesus Lord of your life means he's going to come and dismantle your entire life and rebuild it from the ground up, which is going to deal with your agenda your convictions, your values, your decisions, the way you relate to certain specific things that you do. You see, being a disciple means that you follow Him, not just on Sunday, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the way you sleep, the way you entertain your guests, what you do in your spare time. But, but a lot of people say, well, Pastor, that sounds like bondage to me. No, no, it's not bondage. He actually intends to bring a freedom, a level of freedom that you would have never known. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, not bondage. But pastor, why does it seem like bondage? Because you've listened to a lie. Do you understand that when, even right now, even the very preaching of the message today, right now, as I am bringing the message, do you know that there is a demonic element in the preaching of the Word that is seeking in some of you, right now, there's demonic spirits that are telling some of you, don't believe that guy, he's a liar. I remember one time, 
I had a woman in our church service said, you know, Pastor, you were getting up there preaching. And you know what? I came out of a church where the pastor had fallen before and other churches and pastors were messed up morally and bezzling money and messed up. And I came into your church. I was hungry for the presence of God, hungry for purpose, trying to find where I need to go and where I need to belong. And ever since I was sitting here in the service and this voice kept saying, don't believe a word he says. And I thought it was me. She says, I didn't realize that the voice of the devil sounds the way like I think. Do you know the only way you can discern the difference between the voice of the devil and the voice of the Holy Spirit and your voice is by knowing the Word of God. If you don't know the Word of God, you will never be able to discern the difference between unclean spirits and the Holy Spirit. If you don't know the Word of God. You'll actually believe lies. Good preaching, Pastor Wright. Do, do you understand what's at stake? What's at stake here? Eternity. What's at stake? Do you know there are a lot of people today that say, you know what? I'm going to do what I want to do, and when I get to the end of my life, I'm going to decide to serve God and really give it all to Jesus. Uh, let, let me put something to you this way. How many here would ever get engaged to someone uh, who decides to throw a bachelor party and bring strippers in the night before you get married? You'd say, you know what? Take a hike, partner. You're not going to be my husband. Well, how many of you believe God wants us to think like that? God wants us, well, the Bible says we've been espoused unto Christ as a chaste virgin unto Christ. And you know what? Let me tell you something. If you're thinking like that, you're already in deception. Because you'll not be, the Bible says that the wicked will do more wickedly and the righteous will do, be, do more righteously and they will become, and here's the thing. The Bible says that gross darkness will cover the face of the earth. I would not waste time like that. I would not allow myself to be put into a situation where I think I have tomorrow. You never know. You never know. Here the Apostle Paul tells us that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to, put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to the shames the things that are mighty. Jump over with me into Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. I'm sorry, John's Gospel, chapter 1, not Luke. John, chapter 1. I want you to see something that Jesus does here in John's Gospel, chapter 1. John, chapter 1. This is when Jesus comes to Peter. This is in the outset of his ministry, and he says in the first... Verse 41, John 1, 41, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. But you shall be called Cephas, which is translated to stone. There's a powerful message right here. Jesus sees Peter, and we, we only know that of all the twelve disciples, Peter is the only one where Jesus changes his name. And there's a reason for it. Jesus was saying to Peter, Peter, you have been known as uh, Simon, the son of Jonah. By the way, that means a reed shaken in the wind. In other words, Others have known you. Your family has known you as an individual who has a reputation of being unstable. Your own father calls you Simon, a reed shaken. You have a reputation of putting your foot in your mouth, Peter. You have a reputation that many of your family and friends, you are Simon the son of, but I call you Cephas. Here Jesus, in the beginning of his relationship with Peter, addresses Peter by altering and changing his identity. His intent was not just to give him a new name because he didn't like Simon. He changed his identity and changed his name, hear me on this, is to get his 
confession to line up with the destiny that God had planned for him. Walking worthy means that I've got to line up with the new destiny, the new identity that God has given me. In other words, you've been a reed shaken in the wind, but Peter, I now see you as a stone, a rock. You're unshakable. You're going to be mighty in the kingdom. Now, what is so interesting is even though Jesus called Peter the rock, Cephas the rock, how many of you know Peter was, did not walk in the revelation of that? Because Peter kept on making the same mistakes. And here's the thing. Aren't you, aren't you glad that when you're not faithful, God remains faithful? See, see, even though Peter kept blumbling and fumbling and putting his foot in his mouth, and you know the interesting thing about Peter, in fact, jump over with me to Luke chapter 5, which I think is kind of funny. In Luke chapter 5, you know, Peter is noted in his life as a fisherman. But you know what? Not in one area of the gospel do you ever see this guy catch fish. He's a fisherman that is a horrible fisherman. He can't catch fish. And by the way, when you have to start relying on a carpenter to tell you how to fish, you are really sinking low. When you've got to go to a, listen to the advice of another guy in a different kind of an occupation, tell you how to tell, tell you what to do in your own uh, profession, you are really stupid. But here Peter is having such a bad day. Jesus is preaching. And by the way, it's interesting. Here's, here's what's so powerful about the Lord. You know, Peter is fishing. He's not really serving the Lord. He's not following the Lord at this time. But Jesus is preaching and multitudes are following. And Jesus at the seashore. So Jesus gets into one of the boats, pushes off from the land, and he continues preaching. It's amazing. Jesus is one of these multitaskers that can preach at the same time while he's doing a lesson with Peter on the side over. He's preaching to the multitude. And then he tells Peter, Peter, I want you to thrust off from the land. Now, anybody who's a businessman understands that for you to thrust your boat out and go out means that you've got to pay more wages to, to the workers that you have employed with you. That means uh, there's going to be some investment here. So the Lord tells him to thrust out into the land, from the land and to go into the deep. And after Jesus gives him the word, notice what Peter does. He begins to actually dispute this with the Lord. He says, Lord, Master, we have toiled all night and have caught nothing. I mean, here's a guy who's, who's, who's basically burned out. He's expended all of his knowledge, all of his energy. He's, he's done all that he could. I've caught nothing. I've toiled all night. I've exercised all my ingenuity, all the ideas. I'm fresh out of ideas. But nevertheless, at thy word will I let down. I call this accidental obedience. How many of you ever accidentally obeyed God and just happened to find out that he was right? I mean, this was not intentional obedience. He obeyed by accident. He, well, I guess I'll do it. Come to, wow, God's right. It was not really intentional. You know what I find? God is so faithful even when we don't even have faith. I mean, there's, there's really no whole lot of faith here. Nevertheless, I'll do it. Lord, I'll do it. And so he launches out into the deep. And notice what it says. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish. Everyone say great number. And the net was breaking. We're talking about boat sinking, net breaking blessing. And they signaled for their partners and the other boats to come and help. And they came and filled the boat so that they began to sink. Man, that's a lot of fish. I got a boat myself and I've had, at one time I had 200 fish in my boat, didn't even, didn't do anything. But I can't imagine having enough fish on your boat to sink. And notice here, verse 8, And when Simon saw it, he fell down at the knees and said, Lord, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. Here, interesting, here, here's a man. And what, what's so powerful about God's grace? This is such a picture of grace. The Lord is merciful and grace, gracious to Peter. In the goodness of God, here the Lord blesses him in spite of his lack of faith. But it was in this time where he's weak. 
It's in this time where he's vulnerable. Everyone say vulnerable. You see, sometimes walking worthy of the calling means that the Lord may ask you to be vulnerable for him. When he gets into your boat and he calls you to trust him, well, Lord, I'm, I'm all out of ideas. Uh, I, I've tried this before. And the Lord says, I know you have. But the difference is, I'm in the boat now. The difference is, is you're not in the boat by yourself. I'm in the boat now. I'm in the boat. And so when he's thrusting out, all of a sudden they start pulling in these heavy nets. The fish keep coming. How many of you would like to tell God to stop blessing you? You're sinking my boat. How, how many of you just would like to say, you know, Lord, stop blessing me. Just stop it. The boats are sinking. I'm being too blessed. God is trying to say something here. That when you are in your most vulnerable moment, it is his most explosive opportunity to show up. And it's when you're sick. Notice when Jesus says to to launch out into the deep. Everyone say the deep. You know, sometimes God is going to ask you to move out into waters that you have no idea what's under them. God didn't say move out into the shallows. He says, I want you to go out into the deep waters. And there's times where God's going to call us to move into areas where our faith is going to have to really reach. Wow, I'm going to have to believe God because I'm in some waters that I, I can't control this. And you really begin to think, wow, I thought I was in control. I thought I was smart enough. I knew enough. I've caught nothing, but I got this carpenter in my boat telling me how to fish. Now, how many of you know for us Americans, that just doesn't go so well with our pride? I don't need some preacher to tell me how to make my marriage work. I don't need some minister. Well, see, if we want the miracle to happen... We need to let God be God. And it's, and it's in this time where Peter is vulnerable that he brings in this blessing, this net-breaking, boat-sinking blessing. And then Peter's pride now shows us, says, Lord, get, get away from me. Depart from me. I'm not worthy of you. How many of you know sometimes our pride even keeps us from being blessed? Our pride. I'm a sinful man. You know why Peter said that? Because Peter was in the works mode. He was a man who did not feel worthy of the blessing. Here's what's so powerful. God's blessing on your life is not necessarily based upon your righteousness. It's simply based on his goodness. Because it's God's goodness that leads us to repentance. So God blesses him. I'm not suggesting that we can continue in sin. But here we find that in this case, that... that Peter acknowledges his sense of unworthiness and the, and the blessing of the Lord makes him reflect on his own sense of unworthiness. And yet the Lord says in the next couple of verses, he says, Peter, fear not. I want you to stop thinking that I'm looking on how you are doing things. He says, I want you to keep your eyes on me. I want you to stop looking to yourself because your whole life has been driven, Peter, by how you do it in your own strength. You've been living by your own strength. You've been living by your agenda. You've done things purposefully on how you could do it. But notice, Peter, where it's led you. It's led you down a path where you fail. But what I love in the end here, it says, so they brought their ships to shore, forsook all, and followed him. Now that, that is a powerful statement. Peter here leaves his fishing trade because he is so moved by God's grace and God's mercy and his love for him that it, it, it makes such a powerful impact. What am I saying all this for? Is that God honored Peter by blessing him even though he was frail and vulnerable and even though he was weak and even though Peter's own heart 
was exposed, and he says, Lord, depart from me. I'm, I'm a wicked man. I don't deserve the goodness. And yet the Lord says, listen, Peter, it's my goodness. It's my love for you is the thing that's going to bring the transformation in your life. It's not, I, I don't want you to try to be a good man. All I need you to be is a willing man. Everyone say willing. God's not looking for your goodness. Because you're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be smart enough. You'll never be strong enough. All he needs you to be is willing. When you're willing, he does it all. He, he works for you. Amen? Really important. What does it mean to walk worthy of the calling? Three things and I close. First of all, to walk worthy means to walk in the accordance to the level of love and honor and power that Christ has shown you. In other words, I, I need to walk into that level. To walk worthy simply means to, to live and to think of what is befitting to what he's called me. He's called me righteous. He's called me an overcomer. He's called me blessed. I need to think and live like that. The second thing, walking worthy means that I expect great things. Expect it. Because he's come to honor you. Do you know that you are the witness to the world? Come to expect great things from him. And the, and the last thing, as we see here in Ephesians 4, because walking worthy also has to do with how we treat one another. In other words, he says, expect great things in others. Expect things from the Lord, but also expect greatness in others. Speak it. Prophesy it. Declare it over people. You know what? We at New Life here always speak life and we speak confidence in people. We let people know you can do all things through Christ. You can do it. You can obey. You can trust you can work. You can serve. You can forgive. You can see awesome things in your life. Why? Because he who has called you is faithful. And he's faithful to complete it. Amen? Let's bow our heads this morning. You know, I feel this morning that the Holy Spirit is bringing this church into a level of honor. And, and I'm, I'm on this series. I'm not going to get off of it. The Lord has just spoke to me so clearly, that he wants to raise our level of faith and vision to where we really begin to believe God and expect from him the kind of things that he wants to demonstrate. Jesus got Peter. I, I don't believe it was an accident that Jesus came to Peter in the time when he was not having a good day. I believe it was an appointed time. Sometimes God comes to us at the time when we're at our most vulnerable, at our most weakest, because that's the time when He can shine the greatest. And even right now, I believe some of us may be in a place where, Lord, I, I'm, I'm really desperate for a word. I, I am desperate for breakthrough in my life. And I'm here to tell you this morning, the Lord's in your boat. He is in your boat. And the word to you is to launch out into the deep. It's time to launch out. It's time to expect a boat-sinking, net-breaking kind of blessing. Now, it's not just for you alone. God's going to give you a testimony, just like he did today with James. What a powerful testimony. God has blessed James. And you know, one thing I've got to say about James, this is just, I have never heard James ever complain. I've heard this man speak faith. I'm sure there's been times where he might have had some moments. But I see a man who was just bounced back and said, God's going to be faithful. Faithful. God is faithful. And you know what? At the appointed time... The Lord opened this awesome door for, for him. And it doesn't end. It's going to get brighter, better. 
Maybe this morning you say, you know, Pastor Ray, I need a breakthrough. I need breakthrough in my life. I have been living below, thinking below, I've been speaking way below what God intends for me, and I, I want to come up to a place where I'm living and walking and thinking. I want to walk worthy. Not, not, not that you're trying to get worthy. You're already made worthy and righteous by the blood. But where you begin to line up in that area, of, in that place of, of honor, like when Jesus changed Peter's name, said, Peter, you're not a reed shaken in the wind. You're Cephas the rock. When we begin to see ourselves as mighty instruments in God's hand, maybe you, that's you this morning. If, if that's you, raise your hand. I want to pray with you this morning. Okay, I see your hand. Anyone else? I need breakthrough. Okay, I see that hand. Anyone else? I need that breakthrough. I need to see myself with a paradigm shift in my mind. It's a new day. It's a new, new visitation, a new breakthrough in my thinking. I've allowed the past, I've allowed sin, I've allowed problems in my past to identify and define my life. I've been defined by failure. No longer am I going to be defined by failure or what other people have said. I'm going to be defined by God's covenant promise, His purpose, His word, His will. I'm going to be defined by the power of the Holy Spirit living and breathing in my life. I believe God has a vision for my life. Can we all stand to our feet? I know our time is gone, but I, I feel the Holy Spirit wants to bring breakthrough. There's a number of hands that were raised. I'm not going to embarrass you, but if you would like prayer for breakthrough, and I, let me tell you where I believe God's going to bring breakthrough. Number one, He's going to bring breakthrough in the area of your thought life. You are no longer the victim that the enemies tried to be. You are more than conquerors. The second thing that God wants to bring breakthrough is, is your ability to visualize yourself excelling and succeeding. There's going to be breakthrough in the ability. I see God birthing creative ideas and plans. I see God birthing creativity. Blessing right now. Another area, as I believe in the area of relationships, God is going to connect you in the area He's going to connect relationships. Amen. If you need breakthrough, why don't you just come down? We're going to pray with you right now this morning. Just feel free to come. There's nothing to be ashamed of. We serve a big God. If you've been like Peter, you've been laboring all night. You've been struggling in your own strength. You've caught nothing. Now's the time. I'm going to let Jesus have his way in my boat. I'm going to let him have his way and I'm going to trust him. It's a day to launch out into the deep. It's a new day. Father, we thank you today. We thank you, Lord. Let, let's all lift our hands, shall we? Father, we thank you today for your mighty hand, your presence. Lord, we ask you, Lord, to baptize us, Lord, with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Oh, God, we ask you, oh, Lord, to let our lives be defined by the promise of the Word. Lord, we're not looking in the past. For this one thing we will do is forget those things which are behind. We press toward the prize of the mark of the high calling of God in Christ. It's a new day. It's a new day. It's a new beginning. Oh God, we thank you, Lord, that you've baptized us. The horse and the rider you've thrown into the sea, Lord. You, you've taken away the old and you've introduced the new, O oh Lord, upon us today. Oh God, thank you, Lord, that you're a God who is the resurrection and the life. You come, O oh God, to birth and to resurrect that which was dead. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Oh God, we thank you, Lord. There's life in you. There's vision in you, Lord. There's hope in you. Oh God, we ask you, Lord, right now,
to transform our minds and our hearts, Lord. We come into agreement. In Jesus' name, no longer subject or defined by what others have said or what we've even thought about ourselves or our own failures and rejections, dejections. Lord, we come today with a fresh understanding, building on the foundation that Jesus is Lord. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It is you that have the words of eternal life. Oh God, we thank you, Lord, that we have the ministry of reconciliation. And Lord, there's life in you, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I, I just feel, I know we're a little late, but I just feel we need to just pray together. Can you just turn out where you're at? I want families. Let's pray. Fathers, pray with your wives. Fathers, husbands, pray with your, your children. Let, let's pray together just for a few minutes. Just, Father, we speak blessing. We speak life. Friends, pray together. Yes, women with women, men with men. Just pray. Oh God, we ask you, Lord, to help us to visualize and to see the very best of what you want to do in us, Lord. Lord, we surrender all to you. We look to you, Lord, as the author and the finisher of our faith. Oh God, you've set before us great and exceeding and precious promises, oh Lord. Oh Lord, we pray for breakthrough. We pray for the spirit and the adoption of love, life to flow through us in Jesus' name. Oh God, we will open up our mouth. We will open up our hearts. Oh God, we will open up our spirit in Jesus' name. We will open up, oh Lord, our lives to you in Jesus' name. Oh God, we cast out the spirit of fear. We cast out, oh Lord, every lie of the enemy. Anything that would seek to seduce and to harass us, Lord. We ask you in Jesus' name to build a hedge, a barrier, protection around our homes, oh Lord. God, help us to be children of the light. In Jesus' name. Men and women of honor. Men and women of distinction. Men and women of mighty men and women of valor, oh God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh God, we pray for one another. We pray, oh God, your very best. We pray, oh Lord, for your presence to come into our homes. Come, Holy Spirit. Come invade our homes. Come into our living rooms. Come into our bedrooms. Come into, oh Lord, our kitchens, Lord. Invade our families, oh Lord. Oh God, let your presence arise and shine upon us, oh Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord God. Amen. Amen.